Matthew 24, 1-14 is our passage of Scripture this morning. And this is the section that begins the Olivet Discourse from Jesus. So let's read God's Word carefully together. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1-14. through 14. Let's read. Jesus left the temple and was going away when His disciples came to point out to Him the buildings of the temple. But He answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The title of the message this morning is Darkness and Light. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, we read this morning a passage of Scripture that has been much debated throughout all of church history. We pray that you would give us clarity, Holy Spirit. Lord, as we look into the end times, Almighty God, we pray that you would give us insight. Pray that you would protect us and cause our hearts to be moved and stirred by your word the way you desire for our hearts to be stirred and moved by your word. Sharpen us and strengthen us, Lord, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as I mentioned in the prayer, this passage of scripture has had many different interpretations throughout church history, and it's one of the most difficult passages to interpret in in the Bible, according to many commentators. And um, as we look into this and, and kind of lead into it, just by way of introduction, I think that 
two of the mistakes Christians can often make in relation to interpreting the Olivet Discourse in this section here in Matthew 24 is when they go to interpret the Scriptures here, they see only our day. Only our times, only today, only right now, when it comes to interpreting this scripture, and it sometimes can make it very difficult to interpret this passage of scripture. One of the other mistakes is seeing only their day. There's Christians, entire branches, that only look at this in terms of interpreting it in relation to their day, and do not see any reverberations down through to the end, even to our day. And so I think what's important for us is to take a look and and make sure that we don't make either of those two errors and, and immediately start reading the Olivet Discourse as if it's talking in its original context directly to us. Now, it is talking directly to us, but we need to remember that when Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking them to his disciples before he died on Passover week. He was looking at the temple. Matthew, when he wrote this gospel, was writing primarily to an ethnically Jewish Christian audience. It was spread all the way throughout the Mediterranean world, but focusing on the Jews and, and really seeking to cause them to focus on Christ and to endure in Christ. And so we always need to interpret scripture by looking at the original author's intent to his original audience. We can't immediately just jump to, well, what is it, what is it for me? And what is it about our times? Now, there are implications in our times, as we'll look at and see, but we need to first, when we interpret Scripture, say, what did this mean to the original hearers when Jesus first heard these words? And what did Matthew mean when he originally wrote this gospel to his audience? And what was the purpose of God to those individuals in that day, and by understanding, we can interpret the meaning soundly and also see the reverberation effect in the way that it affects us in the here and now. But we can't bypass that. It's important when we interpret Scripture that we go back into the first century and remember that Jesus was speaking this directly to His disciples on the week of His death and His resurrection. We also need to remember the context of this passage in Matthew chapter 23 and also in 22. We have a series of judgment parables where Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the Pharisees and the scribes and also the Sadducees for the way that they have rejected Christ. They've rejected him. They've rejected the Messiah, the Son of God, and he's telling them that judgment's going to come upon them and he's pronouncing woe upon them in Matthew 23. In fact, when we get to Matthew 23 toward the end, you see him lamenting. We looked at this last week in the, the lament of Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. You weren't willing to turn to me. And then he says these words, see, your house is left to you desolate. Rejecting Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the people of Israel are experiencing their house being left to them desolate. And Jesus says, for I tell you again, you will not see me again until you 
say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And immediately it flows into 24-1. And, and, and it affects me when, when Jesus, this description in 24-1 begins with this. Jesus left the temple. He left it. And brothers and sisters, in order to understand the scripture again, dropping back into the first century and understanding the, the Jewish mind and the way they viewed the temple, you gotta understand that this is, and this, let this be an incentive to all of us to love our Old Testaments, to read our Old Testaments and to get into God's Word, dig in New Testament and Old, and to understand the, the imagery of the tabernacle throughout the wilderness and the imagery and the excitement and the worship and praise that was lifted up when the temple was built. And then the later, the temple was rebuilt after the exile and all the celebration, all the praise because the tabernacle, the temple represented the presence of God amongst the people of God. The temple was the place where the people of Israel came to meet God. The special place where they came to meet God. And by understanding that, you, you get an understanding of the significance of these words where Jesus was teaching in the temple these judgment parables. You're rejecting the one to whom the tabernacle and the temple pointed to, which is me. I'm here. The Messiah that the scriptures prophesied was going to come. I'm here. I'm the temple. He says in John chapter 2 essentially. When he says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it again in three days. And they thought he was talking about the temple that took 46 years to build. But he's saying, no. The temple is my body. I am where you come now to meet God. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says, there's, there's this great transformation that takes place where Jesus insists that it's about what Israel does with Him and not what they do with their physical temple that determines the fate of the temple and determines the fate of Israel as a nation rejecting Jesus. They rejected what the temple was all about to begin with. And so Jesus is bringing judgment upon them. Jesus is telling them here that your house is left to you desolate. So we're going to look at a number of points this morning. And the first point we're going to look at, number one, the occasion. Secondly, the prophecy. Thirdly, the questions. And fourthly, the answer. Let's look first at the occasion. In chapter 23, we looked at that your house is left to you desolate. Jerusalem was unwilling to come to Christ, unwilling to repent. The leaders should have been saying, hey, here's the one that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to and, and leading the entire temple to worship him. Instead, they were actually shutting the kingdom in their faces, Jesus said. And they were turning God's people away from God himself. And so Jesus, in the first example of this house being left desolate, it says he left the temple. The presence of Jesus goes out from the temple, and it's it's so significant that there's a passage of scripture, and this this blew my mind studying this this week. Ezekiel 11 verse 23 prophesies, "The glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city." 
Well, guess where the Mount of Olives is? It's right out the east gate and right up a ridge on the east side. So the glory of the Lord is departing from the temple, literally. The glory of the Lord's heading out from the city walls and is taking his seat up on the Mount of Olives. It's a fulfillment of Ezekiel 11.23. As Jesus and his disciples are actually looking right down on the temple as he's saying these words and as they're on their way in transit crossing through the the gate of the Mount of Olives on the east gate in the city. It brought poignant clarity to these words. And by dipping into this and understanding where they were at and who Jesus was talking to and who he was talking about, it helps talking about the end times and the judgment become less enigmatic and confusing. And whenever you talk about end times theology, people tend to immediately think that it's like calculus and it's meant to be something beautiful. Our eschatology, our study of the last days is meant to be, as one theologian said, the crown of our theology. We can't omit the crown. We need to remember that there is a doctrine of the end and the way the end is going to play out. And here Jesus talking about the house of Israel becoming desolate, first departs from the temple because of their unwillingness to turn to Him. He came to His own and His own did not receive Him. John 1.11 He laments over it. He appeals. He's pronouncing woe, but He's got pity and yet compassion in His heart even as He's crying out and saying, I would have gathered you together. You see this sighing of Jesus, this heart of love of Jesus for His lost sheep of Israel, even as they are rejecting him and turning him away. They're shutting the kingdom in the faces of the Jewish people and it brings forth the righteous and just judgment of God. I remember there was this Jewish young woman um, in our high school that we reached out to, me and a, a couple of friends. After the Lord turned our hearts toward the Lord, we reached out to share the gospel with her. I think she went to a Christian meeting with us and God was really just drawing her. I remember it was just a powerful time, and I lost contact with her, but then later, I think it was about a year later, we were all in college together, and we went to the same college, and I was following up with her about just, hey, how are, how are things going with Christ? Because God had so kind of moved on her heart, and I remember when she told me, yeah, I went home, and her parents were Jewish as well, and I told them what happened, and sadly, her parents shut the kingdom in her face. They didn't know a whole lot, but they knew this. No Jesus in this house. They told her to stop it with Jesus. I remember just feeling the, I mean, just the life get sucked out of my heart as I was thinking about her situation. I shared the gospel with her again and appealed, but it was like, it was like a closed door. It was like a wall. I can't even listen to this because I've been warned this is poison. This is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing and Shutting the kingdom, and it brings God's just judgment, His wrath. You don't shut the kingdom of God in people's faces and just kind of get away with it. The Lord is a just God, and He cares about the souls of men. He cares about His people, and His people were being led astray by false teachers, and Jesus is moved by it. He pronounces woe upon it, and here we see it play out even further. Because as Luke 19.44 says, they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. They did not recognize the day of their visitation, as one translation says it. And so he leaves the temple. 
And before I transition to point two, I was so moved by this, thinking about this church and for us, just in a connection with us, remembering this was spoken to them and Jesus departed the temple. I was thinking of Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Do you remember this passage? Listen carefully. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking. By all means, Christ Community Church, open the door. Open the door while there's still time. If we presume that he will ever be standing there knocking and that there would never come a day where he would walk away, this scripture is very sobering to me that like, God, it's a precious thing that you've knocked on the door of this heart, this sinner's heart. And I don't want to take it lightly that he did. And for those of you who are in the valley of decision right now and who have not yet open the door to let him in and take this kind of confidence in yourself. I don't need to follow the Lord when I'm young. I've got many years for that yet. Don't presume, friend, that he will ever be just standing there. You reject him long enough and he walks away here at the temple. Oh, and make no mistake about it, it's not because of a lack of compassion. He's going to go and die. That's how much his love is seen, but by all means, would you please open the door? Would you please repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, my friend? Because you don't want to see him leave. Let there be an earnestness. Let there be a breaking the door down spirit. Like, I, I am opening this door. The doorbell rings. I am there, and I'm opening it up, and I'm letting him in. There's no delay looking out the window. Oh, Jesus. Well, man, what is he going to bring into my life? It's not going to be easy. Read the rest of this passage. It's not going to be easy. You know what? I want it easy. Keep him outside. Oh, friends. Let's let him in. Let's sit down at table with him. Let us enjoy salvation with Christ because to have Jesus in the house of your heart is so much more precious than to have the pleasures of Egypt and all the world around you. I'd rather have tribulation and distress all my life and have Jesus in the house. Oh, God help us. It's never too early. Make the decision now. It can become too late. Point two, the prophecy. He left the temple and was going away when the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So they're showing him the buildings of the temple, and they're just like, look at this, Jesus. And they're describing things, and they're just in all of the, the, the structure. It was massive, brothers and sisters. Massive. The outer, outer gate and the outer yard, all the way into the inner courts where only the Jews were able to go. It was a massive place for worship sacrifices were being offered, remembrances of the Passover this week on the Passover celebration. The city was swelling with people. It was a major, major swelling of the population in Jerusalem. And at this time, you know, to the disciples and to the Pharisees and scribes around them, the thought of this ever being shaken, ever being taken away was so foreign to their minds. 
And yet Jesus says here, prophesying in verse 2. You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus left and Jesus prophesied about the destruction of the temple, which we looked at in the last number of weeks, came about in 70 AD under the Roman leader Titus. And to speak about this fulfilled prophecy, I want to read a quote to you from the first century Jewish historian Josephus, who was there and witnessed it. Listen to this carefully. That building, the temple at Jerusalem, however, God long ago had sentenced to the flames. And Jesus prophesied about it here in Matthew 24. But now in the revolution of the time periods, the fateful day had arrived, the 10th of the month Laos, the very day on which previously it had been burned by the king of Babylon. One of the soldiers, neither awaiting orders nor filled with horror of so dread an undertaking, but moved by some supernatural impulse, Josephus says, snatched a brand from the blazing timber and hoisted up by one of his fellow soldiers, flung the fiery missile through a golden window. And when the flame arose, a scream, as poignant as the tragedy went up from the Jews, now that the object which before they had guarded so closely was going to ruin, while the sanctuary was burning, neither pity for age nor respect for rank was shown. On the contrary, children and old people, laity and priests alike, were massacred. The emperor ordered the entire city and sanctuary to be razed to the ground. This prophecy came true in 70 AD. Israel's place of worship was destroyed. It's a picture, brothers and sisters, of not just that judgment. That judgment is part of a judgment sequence that's spoken of here in the last days by Jesus. It symbolizes and points to the more massive destruction of the entire earth when all the elements will be destroyed with the heat in 2 Peter 3, and the earth will be destroyed by fire. But Israel's place of worship was destroyed. You know, it's good news here to hear this aspect of it, though, and I hope this encourages your heart. The true temple, Jesus Christ, to which the tabernacle and the temple always pointed to, to begin with. They were only symbols. But the substance, the true temple, will not be destroyed and cannot be destroyed. He lives right now making intercession for you with the power, Hebrews says, of an indestructible life. Awesome. 
You can always go to him right away, right now, without traveling to a temple. You just pray. And he actually dwells within you. But he's always there. No need to change geography. This is the glory of the new covenant. But this place which each year pilgrims from all over the world came for Passover and came even right here this week in Passover where the remembrance of God, listen to this, remembrance of God delivering the people of Israel from His wrath through the blood of the Lamb rather than pointing the people of Israel to the fulfillment of what the Passover lamb always pointed to back in the original time in Egypt when they painted the blood of the lamb over their doorpost and were spared from the avenging angel that came that night and wiped out Egypt and caused their deliverance out from the slavery and bondage of Egypt and also caused the avenging angel to pass over them. That blood of the lamb, which that original Passover lamb was just a pointer to the Passover lamb who's sitting outside the Mount of Olives contemplating, I'm going to go to the cross for them later on this week and die. The temple that should have been heralding the Messiah is here was actually turning the people away from the true Passover lamb as well as the true temple. And Jesus prophesies its judgment and judgment on the household of Israel. Oh, brothers and sisters. This is sad, isn't it? It's sad. It's a picture of the seriousness of unrepentance. Sometimes in our day, especially, we tend to think that, you know, God's not going to bring judgment. Where's this day of His appearing? And we forget... Second Peter 3 says that long ago God destroyed the entire world with a flood. We forget it. We just think God is just never ever going to come in judgment. This is a reminder that God has come in judgment and God is going to come in judgment again. Part of our evangelism, we need to remind people that the day of wrath is coming. People don't think there's anything to escape. Uh, you like Jesus? I'm glad you like Jesus. That's good for you. I, listen, he needs to be good for you too. This judgment's coming, friend. There's something to escape. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for me too. <laughs> Trust me. But judgment is coming. You've got to believe. It's, this has got to create an evangelistic urgency in our church. The reminder that Jesus prophesies that the judgment of Israel is going to come upon the temple, and it did in 70 AD. And as he goes on later in the p- passage and talks about the second coming, More and more, brothers and sisters, we need to remember Jesus is coming back. The day of judgment, the day of wrath is going to be great. And who can stand against it? Only those who have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith can stand on the day of God's wrath. And we need to remember that God's wrath and God's day of judgment is real. It's come once. Jesus spoke this prophecy and it was fulfilled. This also, with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, it helps you understand some of the later verses where it talks about, all this is going to get fulfilled in this generation. You're like, this generation? I thought this was about us. It is about us, but again, remember, we need to start with the original context and the original people who heard it, and in their original lifetimes, what Jesus was targeting, 
there is a reverb effect and a playing out of this. And the, the reason I want to point this out to you right now is because you need to understand when it comes to the last days. Remember Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost? And they ask, what happened here with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? What happened? And Peter quotes a scripture from Joel 2. Do you remember Joel 2? It's a prophecy about what's taking place on the day of Pentecost. And do you know what it begins with? In verse 17 of Acts 2, Peter says this, and he quotes it from Joel 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The last days... I thought that was the early church. They were just getting going. What do you mean last days? Brothers and sisters, when it comes to God's word, the last days are the time between the ascension of Christ and the second coming of Christ. All of that is called or known as biblically as the last days. And we need to remember that When Jesus is speaking here, he's speaking as a part and a parcel of this. Remember, this is 40 years after he ascends. He's prophesying about the last days when he's prophesying about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. That seems like ancient history to us. But to God, where a thousand years is like a day, brothers and sisters, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was one epic event in a series of epic events culminating in the second coming of Christ. That's how Jesus' disciples understood this. That's why they ask him the specific questions that they ask him here. And that's what we're going to turn to in point three, the questions. They ask him this. They come to him privately on the Mount of Olives and they say, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus didn't correct them and say, uh, you're wrong, you shouldn't have said it like that. And no, it's all part of the last days. It was totally a legitimate question here. And there, where the confusion comes in interpreting the Olivet Discourses, is Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple or is he talking about the second coming? Which one is it? He's talking about the last days, which includes both events. So both events are included here in Matthew chapter 24. And it helps, brothers and sisters, just to clear out the cobwebs and the confusion. I hope that by us studying God's word together here, that studying the end times becomes just an absolute joy and a delight to you. I'm excited in the future to perhaps go through the book of Revelation together, where when you think of Revelation, you see teaching on it, even on television and things like that. You tend to think, oh my goodness, and people getting out the charts and people doing all this crazy stuff. And it's not sound biblical interpretation of scripture we need to get back to understanding the science of interpreting the word of god accurately it kind of takes the weirdness out of it and brings the life and the substance of god's word before our hearts so that we can benefit the reason i tell you this is because a lot of people a lot of christians they just they run away from eschatology And they run away from the book of revelation they run away from matthew 24 they run away from the book of daniel they run away from every eschatological passage because sadly it's been weirdified so much that people are like that's unaccessible to me no brothers and sisters it's the crown of our theology knowing what's coming 
knowing the signs of the times, knowing where we're going, it's vital to our endurance. And if, if Satan's real crafty like that, let's just get them forgetting about the fact that the heaven's coming and Jesus is coming back. And just that that part of God's words shut off to them. Let's shut it off to them. No, eschatology is the crown of our theology. It's a joy to study. And I think we need to recapture it. I'm looking forward to dipping into that a little bit more in the, in the coming weeks as this unfolds and, and dipping into that. And we all need to rely on the Holy Spirit together. We need to approach God's word with humility and study it hard, but also recognize worthy brothers and sisters in Christ throughout church history had very difficult times interpreting these things rightly. And we shouldn't stand in arrogance over them. We should be humble and benefit from all of the scholarship and study and interpretation of God's word that's gone before us, but also not be afraid of God's word and dig into it. Study it. Oh, gentlemen, become a workman, as First Timothy 4 talks about. Study it, get into it, wrestle with it. Learn from it, love it, feast upon it, let it feed your soul. Young men, dig into it. Young women, dig into it. Ladies, I'm so excited for the Bible study. Dig into the God's Word and learn from the Scriptures themselves and let it feed you. I think we are so often, we are malnourished because we don't have the Word of God coming into our systems to make us strong. We're anemic and we need fresh intake of God's Word. All of God's Word, but let's not neglect studying the last days which began when Jesus returned in His ascension and will culminate at the second coming. And that's why this question of Jesus's or the, of the disciples to Jesus wasn't an enigma to Jesus and he doesn't correct them on the premise because it was perfectly legitimate to say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age and when will these things be? He's ta- they're saying, when will these things be? They're talking about the temple. And Jesus gives them clarity on when the destruction of the temple is going to come. And when it comes to the very end on the second coming of Christ, there's less clarity. Jesus doesn't give them clarity on that and in fact tells them don't don't think about the when. Don't make it about the men, when. Make it about the who. It's me, and I'm coming. And we'll get into that more in the coming weeks. But there are questions here, brothers and sisters, and the urgency of their questions and what Jesus' answers are, and we'll look at those in just a few moments. All of these are meant to cause us to live alert, to be awake, to not just kind of sleep through life as Christians. The temple was burned, and later, when Christ comes, the entire earth is going to burn. Everything is going to burn and be leveled down, and then the new heavens and new earth are going to come. And so, what kind of people ought we to be in light of us knowing this truth. We ought to walk soberly and in the fear of the Lord and in holiness and honor and not live in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, Scripture says. We should live alert. We shouldn't be drunken, but we should be awake and be filled with the Spirit, not 
drunk with wine. We should repent and turn away from wickedness and lawlessness and turn and follow Christ so that when the Master comes, we're ready. We're ready. Let us be a church ready and on the ready. Let's be on the lookout. Let's be vigilant. Because God's got some wonderful things to do through us. And God, I pray you'd make it so. And more and more as the day of judgment approaches. Finally, the answer. The answer. And there's so much to cover here. I'm just going to fly through some of these because they asked the question. And we go four, basically four through to 14 touches in on this. You know the first thing that stands out about Jesus' answer to them? He doesn't just say uh, 70 A.D. And he could have. <laughs> he gives them care. He cares for their soul, which is better. He answers their question, but he gives them care. He, he speaks words of warning and talks to them about the signs of the times they're going to be coming and marking. And that these signs mark the time from the ascension to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., but they also mark the times from the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. all the way to our current day. And this is where it's very relevant and applicable. And Jesus, these words weren't just limited to these times. This is where it does have effect into our very day. The same calls here are also part of the last days as a package before the return of the Son of Man. And so, brothers and sisters, we see that Jesus is saying that there's going to be false messiahs. Many are going to come in his name to lead people astray. Don't follow them. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There were many wars leading up to 70 AD, and there's been many wars and rumors of wars since. Famines and earthquake. Whenever you see these things in the news, it's always a reminder to me, and let it be a reminder to you, Christ is coming. Let's, let's up our readiness. These are birth pains. There's going to come a great deliverance. There's going to come a great day. But these are birth pains. This is Old Testament language. It's imported from Isaiah into what Jesus is saying here. In verse 9, the Word of God says, And they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This word for tribulation is philipsis in the Greek. It's talking about Great distress. You see here that this is going to mark the entire last days. Tribulations. Distress. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be hard. I think two mistakes many believers make in relation to studying the end times. There's two that, two avenues and outcomes I think are unfortunate. Number one is, Christians who are only pessimistic as they look out at the world. They read about this and they just say, oh my goodness, the world is just going going down, going down. Let's put our head in the sand and just survive this until Jesus comes back. Have you ever had or experienced brothers and sisters like that? It's just studying the times of the end, but it's almost like, then let's put our head in the sand and just survive. There's a pessimism that comes with studying the end times. We must not give our way, give ourselves over to pessimism because brothers and sisters verse 14 look at it the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come happy gospel advance let's remember that as the growing darkness happens and as it was in the days of noah so will it be in the days of the son of man and before his return it is going to get worse and worse 
tribulations are going to get worse and worse. But brothers and sisters, the light of the gospel through Christ's true church will shine all the brighter in the midst of the growing darkness. And the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. The the darkness cannot snuff out the light. And for us as the church, let us not be just pessimistic, but let us look at the end times and let's not just be blindly optimistic either. That's the other mistake. Only optimism. Oh, it's going to be great. Things are going to be wonderful. And no, Jesus in verses 4 through 13 tells us that it's going to be hard. Living as a Christian in the last days is not going to be easy. It's going to be filled up with false messiahs, wars and rumors of wars, famine, earthquake, birth pains, uh, thalipsis, distress. Remembering Acts 14.22, it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. I was reminded of that in the study. We're going to be hated. That's not easy. And no matter how much you try to be a respectable Christian and try to have everybody love you, if you're truly following Christ, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. True? And we must own that. We can never live in such a way to where we just have the ungarnered respect of the world, never hated Never opposed, and yet also be a true follower of Christ. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. If everybody speaks well of you, you're not sticking your neck out for Christ is the connection there. Because when you stick your neck out for the truth and stick your neck out for Jesus, you're going to be hated by some. And that's a good sign. In relation to the hatred, the success of God's church, listen to this carefully, isn't graded by how it is loved by the world. Today, we've got to get this into our heads that we're going to be hated. And not for our, because we're doing anything wrong, because we're standing up for Jesus. The harder we hold on to Jesus together, we are going to be increasingly, church, out of step with popular culture. And we can sometimes have the idol of, hey, listen, I want to buy in all in with Jesus, but I also want to be accepted by the world. I want to be respected by the world. Brothers and sisters, no, we're going to be hated, Jesus says, and we need to sign up for that in our hearts. Jesus says in verse 10, many are going to fall away. There's going to be apostasy. We're going to see friends that we care about, who we thought were truly born again and truly one of God's own. Wander away from the truth. Like Demas, who, because he loved this world, wandered away. We're going to see, due to the increase in lawlessness, verse 12, due to the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Now listen, I, I'm, I don't want us to just be, I don't want us to be scared in a way God doesn't want us to be scared or fear, but I do want us to take stock of these words. The love of many is going to grow cold in the last days because of the increase of lawlessness. Lawlessness is disobedience. Disobedience leads to us growing cold in our love for Jesus. And it says many are going to go down that path. Can I please appeal to his Christ community? Please. That means some of you. That this is aimed at me. I am right now under threat 
of my love for Jesus growing cold as we go forward into the future, and so are you. My question is, are you being vigilant about it? Are you sobered by the reality that right now you could be loving Jesus, worshiping Him here on Sunday? Five years from now, you could be a totally different human being that we would not recognize. In love with the world. Christ is far from your mind. Friends, This Jesus is saying the end times, the last times are going to be marked by this kind of apostasy. Those who were once with us, who are no longer with us anymore because they love the world. They love lawlessness and sin. And brothers and sisters, we've got to be honest and just say, yes, sin is enticing. Sin is alluring. It is so tempting. We have got to have each other's back in the church and be real and honest in our fellowship. Talk about when you're tempted to backslide. Be open in care group and say, hey, listen, please pray for me, man. I am on the brink. I'd rather have it be real and us have that kind of fellowship than us all pretend and put on the mask and act like nothing's wrong and everything's happy-go-lucky and we're at war within ourselves and not being open. Friends, we've got to take fellowship seriously. We've got to take our life together in community seriously. Because the times are perilous. Now you are not going to hear that on the prosperity gospel channel. This is the anti-prosperity gospel. This is persecution, threat, martyrdom. You don't hear that there. They are false teachers unworthy of your time and attention. Don't listen to them. They're trying to lead you astray. Just like Jesus says they will. No, brothers and sisters... We are going to hold on to Christ here with all of our hearts. And we are going to focus on him. We are going to harness all of our ambition to holding on to Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead with all of our might. And we're going to shine as bright of a light into this area and into this world as we can together. And we're going to hold on to Christ and we're going to have all the assaults against it. And God's going to sustain us all the way to the end because of his grace. But let us be vigilant. And brothers and sisters, it's going to take every single one of us to do it. Let us be sober. Let us be warned. Let us not give ourselves over to pessimism. Let us not give ourselves over to blind optimism. I think what this ministers is a realistic optimism. It's going to be hard. Jesus said it was going to be hard. In this world, we were going to have trouble. He promised us this. He's telling the disciples this here. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Yeah, Jesus. I'm following you. I'm not going to let go of you. I know you got me, but I'm not letting go of you. I'm going to hold on to you all the harder. I don't want to be amongst those who fall away. That word there in verse 10, entrapped, tripped up, stumbled, enticed to sin. I'm not going to listen to false prophets and the cultists who come and try to knock on my door and try to lead me away from pure devotion to Christ. No, I'm going to study my Bible so I can refute the error and teach sound doctrine and also refute those who oppose it. Brothers and sisters, let us know God's word because those who know the word will be strong and do exploits. Daniel 11.32 says, let us be these kinds of brothers and sisters in this generation and let us run away from lawlessness and wickedness. Let's turn away in repentance from all the remnants of our old life and follow Jesus in verse 12. In verse 13, let us endure. Oh, look at that verse. Everyone who endures to the end, will be saved. That call to endurance. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now listen, Scripture everywhere teaches 
that God is going to give you grace to endure. He is going to sustain you by his grace. He who began a good work and you is going to carry it on to completion. Yes and amen and hold on to it all your life. Hold on to this one with all your heart too. This is one that accents human responsibility. And we want to take seriously the call to endure, the call to persevere in the Christian life. That word endure in the original means to remain under the load. There is a yoke. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but there is a yoke. It's going to feel difficult. Like in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where his feet start hurting because the road is just getting so tough and he's just so tempted to get off the path and they actually wander away a little while before they're brought back on it and they end up in Dowding Castle. And Brothers and sisters, the weight of the yoke, it's going to at times feel like, you know what, I just want to get out from underneath of that and feel the... The relief. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want that. Let us hold on to the yoke and bear up under it together all the way across the finish line, Christ community. Some of you are weary in here today. I can feel weary as well. Again, you're almost there. Don't turn away now. You're you're doing so good. You've run such a race. Keep looking unto Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from such sinful men so that you might not grow weary and faint-hearted. That's one of my wife Shannon's favorite verses in Hebrews 12. Endure. Have a passion to endure. Let's talk about endurance and what we're doing to endure. Let us read our Bibles as if our souls depend upon it. We're like, the reason we don't cling to Christ, we don't think there's anything that's important going on. Jesus is up in the stakes and saying, listen, this is what's coming, and this is what you're in. Satan's trying to play a tune out there and tell you that there's no war going on. Just enjoy the pleasure. And so many are getting sucked away to their eternal destruction. By God's grace, and let us pray and fast and seek the Lord together as a church, not in this house. May we, by God's grace, hold fast together. Endure all the way to the end. Oh, God, help us to do so. And the happy verse 14. The gospel is going to be preached to the end of the earth. Do you know by the end of the first century, the gospel had gone all the way over the then known world. I mean, even in Romans, Paul's talking about, hey, listen, I want to, I want to step off from you to get to Spain. The whole entire Mediterranean's getting reached with the gospel. The missionary zeal, the church planting zeal of the men and women in the early church was profound. May it also mark us as we're seeking to get the gospel to even the unreached peoples of the earth. So I'm so thankful for Daniel and Caitlin, so thankful for Becky, so thankful for Emily newly coming to our church. And the many men and women in our church, not just who have a vision for going, but you know what we're going to aim to be more and more as the days go on? Ascending church as well. If we're not going, we're senders. And we're senders with a vengeance. I mean, we just want to go forth and do everything. Christ community, you are this kind of church. Let us have zeal for the return of Christ and do everything we can to speed his coming. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. If I can have the worship band return, we're going to close with worship. There's nothing like a sermon like this that causes you to just say, God, I need you. Every hour I need you. I want to sing the worship song that leads to us crying out to Him. We know He's going to sustain us. We know He's going to keep us by His grace. We know that He who began a good work is going to carry it on. But brothers and sisters, there is a call.
And that call is for us to endure all the way to the end. The race is not over until it's over. Let us be finish line Christians. I don't want to run 70 years and then give up in the last lap. Let us, even if we got to crawl, we are getting across that finish line and we are not taking the yoke off. We're going to keep following Christ. And I don't care what Satan throws at us. These are the last days. We're almost there. And brothers and sisters, when we get there, there's no no more false messiahs, only worthy as a lamb. No more wars and rumors of wars, eternal peace. No more famines and earthquake, just rest. Even the creation's groaning, can't wait for the new heavens and new earth. So it's no longer under this fall. No more birth pains, but deliverance. No more philipsis and great distress, only unending joy and everlasting happiness. No more hardships, only happiness. No more being hated, only being loved forever and ever. No more falling away, but everybody will be safe. No more false prophets, but only truth and never lies. No more lawlessness, no more sin. Can't you wait? Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven and never sin again. Oh, save to sin no more. And no more need to endure because we'll be safely home. We won't need to endure anymore. It's just going to be bliss forever. But for now, we fight. For now, we work. For now, we labor. Let's not give up. Do not grow weary and lose heart. Do not give up. And no more need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because guess what? Representatives from every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered before the throne. Individuals we've had, by God's grace, the opportunity to evangelize who will be there, who repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who are born again and saved. And we're going to enjoy the Lord together forever. It's going to be awesome. But for now, we are in the midst of the Christian life in the last days, and it's real, and it's difficult, and it's got so many joys, but it's got a lot that we've got to gird ourselves up for. Church, we need Him. And so let's sing with desperation, but with also with faith, because He's going to keep us. But let us sing, Lord, I need You. I need You. Every hour, I need You. Let us close with that, and Josh will close us in prayer after we're done. about what what time we are in God we cannot stand without you so God I just pray for everyone here Lord we would just we would just lean on you God you are already there let's just lean on you God let us go each day 
realizing our desperation for you, Lord. For who else can wash away our sins? Who else can make us pure and righteous and give us strength to stand when our enemies are around us? Who else lays the foundation for our faith, God? Who has already walked this path before us? Only Christ, your Son, you, God. And it's in that power that we can walk forward this morning. We don't have to run to a temple because the temple has purchased us. And he dwells in and among us. And we just need to turn to you, God, and ask for new strength. And if there's anyone here who hasn't turned to Christ, or maybe you think you have turned to Christ, but you just don't have that relationship where you can you feel like no matter what comes, you can turn to a loving father, to a loving friend. I pray that you would just you would just turn to him. See, be spoken desperation because there is a desperation for you to turn to Christ. And God, I just pray that you would reach those people. Your love and kindness would fall on them. I just pray with strength going forward for everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.